So that's the situation that we don't want to get into. We want to make sure, hey, like that's when appropriate shelf life labeling on these packages becomes extremely critical. Like do your shelf life studies and understand, okay, if I use this composition on this kind of product, this is my expiry date. Make sure that's clear on the labels. Welcome to MeetsPad. In collaboration with the American Meat Science Association, it's a platform dedicated to share breakthrough knowledge that is accessible to the global meat industry. On each episode, you'll have the opportunity to listen and learn from meat specialists and professionals about the whole meat industry. This podcast is brought to you by the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Ultrasource, equipment and supplies for the meat and food industry, ViscoFan Collagen Casings, the best alternative to animal gut casings for a better taste and sustainable sausage making. Hello, me folks. Welcome back to the Inspire Podcast. My name is Kunahar, and I'm your host today. I'm very excited to have um, someone that I reached out maybe like a couple of years ago, and we were discussing about uh, a podcast. We we weren't sure about a topic, and then we we visited I think last RMC and like. We, we have to do something and, and looking back at some of the uh, one of my my passions is color and uh, i did a, a little bit of work on that uh, in my in my phd and i i do a lot of dissemination and and trying to help processors understanding color and what it's behind that and to to extend the chef life or color life like dr hun like to say and today with us, we, we welcome Dr. Mahesh Nair, uh, Associate Professor from Colorado State University, to talk about MAP and other alternatives in, in packaging in the meat industry. Welcome, Dr. Nair. How are you doing? Doing good. Thank you, Francisco. Thanks for the invite. I know we have tried to schedule this a couple of times, and uh, finally, the time worked out. <laughs> yes, yes. And and uh, we're, like, before recording, we're talking, um, we visited with Dr. Han maybe, like, like last year or I can't remember why, when, when it was, but I think it was two years ago when we visited with Dr. Han and we, we talked about color, but we didn't go very uh, in depth about uh, map. So I think we mentioned it briefly and we're talking about uh, mostly uh, in the early 2000s, um, a lot of work was done by, by that group with Dr. Han was leading uh, K-State. And I think it's, it's a good to, um, to understand what is what is modified atmosphere packaging, what are some of the alternatives? And I think we can start from there. If you if you will, tell us a, a little bit about, about this technology. Yeah, and again, before we go there, I want to make sure I give a shout out to Dr. Hunt uh, because he is the color guru in, um, in the U.S. In fact, uh, when I was looking for a graduate position, uh, Dr. Hunt was one of the first persons I reached out to. Um, this was by way back in 2010. I'm originally from India, so when I was looking for graduate positions, uh, I looked at Dr. Hunt's research and the things he was doing sounded very really cool to me. So I reached out to him in 2010. Um, actually, in 20, 2009, I reached out to him and I said, hey, I'm interested in being a graduate student with you. That time he was getting ready to retire, so he didn't have an open position with him. Um, so he directed me to Dr. Suman at University of Kentucky. So that's where I did my grad study. So from that point, I considered Dr. Hunt, uh, Hunter as a mentor for me. And he has been extremely kind uh, to me and extremely uh, willing to educate me on things. Whenever I have a question, even now, I try to go get a hold of Dr. Hunt and say, hey, 
I have this question. Am I thinking about this correctly? So, um, extremely, extremely uh, grateful to him as a mentor. Um, going back to your question on color, uh, people consider color as the one of the most important things when you're making purchasing decisions, right? If it looks good, you purchase it. If it doesn't, people are like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there is a little bit of a consumer negative perception on that. Um, so ways to improve color, that's one of my focus areas on research is what can we do to improve color, whether it can be packaging or whether it can be antioxidants, whether it can be antimicrobial or whether it can be consumer education. There are different ways you can approach that. And one of the things you mentioned was modified atmosphere packaging. We typically abbreviate that as MAP. Like we meet, meet science folks are very simple-minded. We like simple definitions, modified atmosphere packaging. Means we are modifying the atmosphere in which that need is held. To simply put, that's what modified atmosphere packaging or MAP means. Um, how do we do that? It's typically you try to take out the air or the ambient atmosphere that's present in the package and try to replace that with your gases of choice. And those gases are chosen because they have typical properties. And we can get into that later in the discussion. But that's what we are doing is we are taking out the air, replacing it with your gas composition of choice. And then we're sealing it with a tight film that's tray sealed that makes sure that gas composition stays the same or the, that gas remains in the package. So that's what modified atmospheric packaging simply, like in simple terms means. Um, it's widely used in the industry, like especially with case ready packaging being more popular. Huh? Like case ready means instead of traditional way of cutting meat in a store, meat is cut into consumer portion sizes in a centralized facility. That gives you a little bit more control over what kind of packaging you can use. Because traditionally, like stores don't have all the resources to do those kind of things. So um, I think Cryovac did a meat case study and they mentioned Recently, that's about 83% of product that's in stores now is, is case-ready. And about 15 to 20% of that is through modified atmosphere packaging. Um, the, one of the advantages of doing a case-ready is like you have better process control because it's handled in a centralized location. You have better process control. You can have, there is less product handling actually at a store level. So there is less worry about food safety and spoilage and things like that. The other big component, which many of these smaller stores are facing challenges is skilled labor to cut meat in stores. Mm -hmm. So the, you, get, you can get rid of some of that if the meat is already coming in a uh, pre-packaged consumer ready form. Uh, there is greater product consistency. It gives greater market flexibility and things like that. So there is a lot of advantages for that centralized packaging. The disadvantage may be like there's more packaging material involved in some of these packages. And so there is a lot more emphasis on moving away from traditional packaging and like more biodegradable packaging and things like that. What are some of the, the gas proportion or um, I know we, we kind of talk about like we can use high oxygen, uh, low oxygen packaging. There's a, a carbon monoxide option that you can do to also 
help for the for the color uh that color that the US consumer loves, like that cherry red color. I guess if, if we can maybe we can talk about what we use in the US, what is being used in Europe, because I know in Europe they, they do a little bit different when it comes to uh map packaging. And I think I, I would love I'd love to talk to and, and maybe also um you're or, or originally from, from India and maybe also see like some of the perspectives what what's going on in 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 India or or other places to kind of get a a global perspective right on 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 this technology yeah sure again like the gas composition basically depends on what you are trying to achieve from that packaging so typically it's a combination of four different gases that's what when i'm teaching a class that's what i try to bring up to the classes hey here are the four gases that's typically used in map packaging. We can use it in different combinations to come up with solutions. Um, the primary one is oxygen. Mm -hmm. um, oxygen, the reason we use oxygen is for that cherry red color you mentioned earlier, like especially if it's for beef, consumers love to see that bright cherry red color. They associate that with a high quality product. Mm -hmm. So if you're using oxygen, uh, that gives you that ability to produce that bright cherry red color. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure uh, others have covered this in your podcast before about myoglobin and chemistry and things like that. But myoglobin is the protein that is responsible for meat color. 95% mm -hmm. um, of color comes through myoglobin. Like whether it's good or bad, it's myoglobin that's responsible for that. Myoglobin can attach to oxygen. It can bind to oxygen. And when it binds to oxygen, it forms a bright cherry red color. Mm -hmm. Typically, we call that as oxygenated form as oxymyoglobin. So there is oxygen attached. You call it oxymyoglobin. That's the bright cherry red color you see in there. And the discoloration happens when that gets oxidized and there is oxidation of that over time. So the idea with these packages is to actually limit the oxidation and can we push the shelf life a little bit further can we get it beyond the traditional number of days that we have for a traditional packaging so i'm i mentioned four different gases so i'm going to go back to oxygen because that's one of the primary ones that's used and there is again advantages and disadvantages with oxygen which we can come back to at a later point the second one that's typically used is carbon dioxide carbon dioxide helps with the anaerobic atmosphere. It helps to slow down the bacterial growth. Okay? So if you have a high carbon dioxide atmosphere, bacteria typically doesn't like that. They tend to grow slower in those atmospheres. So you can use that to create that anaerobic atmosphere. The third one is nitrogen. But nitrogen doesn't have a functional role. It's very inert. It helps to create that anaerobic atmosphere helps as a filler, helps to keep the package fluffed up so there is no other gas coming in there. And then the fourth one uh, is carbon, mon carbon monoxide. Um, it's approved for use in US at about 0.4%. So that's the maximum you can use for carbon monoxide. Carbon monoxide is wonderful in its properties because as I mentioned earlier, like. Uh, like how oxygen binds to myoglobin and forms oxymyoglobin, carbon monoxide can bind to myoglobin and forms a pigment called as carboxymyoglobin. Very stable. 
it stays similar to that cherry red color that we, the consumers like. It stays very stable and uh, it can last for much longer duration. Once it forms an attachment to myoglobin, it doesn't come off that easily. It stays there. So that cherry red color stays for longer duration with that. It's approved for use at 0.4%. So typically it's used in combination with other gases. So it can be either a carbon dioxide, oxygen and nitrogen. So all of those, they can be used in different combinations. But if you're using carbon monoxide, typically you go with carbon dioxide and nitrogen as a filler to get uh, all the air out and make sure that carbon monoxide is attaching to myoglobin. Perfect, perfect. And and um and maybe we can briefly talk because I know when we mentioned like in Europe, uh, they're more used to a but the number used like low oxygen right environment yeah. compared to the yeah. US is more high oxygen. Mm -hmm. It's the consumer preference on those right. Like you, the each market sets up to hey. If this is what sells and this is what the consumers are wanting, we will set it up that way. Consumers in U.S. actually prefer to see that bright cherry red color. Um, so if you're using a high oxygen atmosphere, that helps with that bright cherry red color. Compared to that, in Europe, um, there is more acceptance for vacuum packaging. So the consumers are used to seeing that vacuum package color. It's not that bright cherry red color. It's more purplish red. A color that and consumers are a little bit more willing to accept that. So, if you're using a lot more low oxygen atmosphere there, the advantage you get is you get more shelf life there, right? So you get more shelf life, more the product can stay in the retail case for longer duration. So that helps to okay. If the consumers are accepting of that, let's focus on the shelf life, not primarily on the color. So that helps to switch that to a lower oxygen packaging, and that helps to push the shelf life further. And I mentioned this earlier, one of the challenges with the high oxygen atmosphere is bacteria like that oxygen. So they can they tend to grow in that atmosphere better. And two, uh, there is that potential for oxidation to happen. Oxidation is, can be proteins or lipids. It can be either fat or proteins that can get oxidized. Both of those are not great in terms of either a visual appearance or an eating quality. So the advantage with high oxygen packaging is, hey, you can push that to very bright cherry red color initially. But on the back end, you may have some issues with oxidation. So you need to make a decision on that. Hey, what am I trying to do here? Am I trying to push my product out faster or am I trying to keep the product in the shelf for longer? With that bright cherry red color, like it, it's very appealing to consumers. You can push that product out faster, but there might be some drawback on the oxidation component. But on the lower uh, oxygen atmospheres, there is not that bright color, but you get a longer shelf life coming out of that. So there is that balance and that's a business decision that people have to make, right? And again, it's di di dictated by consumers. The consumers are willing to buy that, that's what we are selling. They're, they are not willing to pay for that. That's what we are selling. <laughs> Since 1883, Ultrasource has been a trusted supplier to the food industry. Ultrasource provides superior kill floor, processing, packaging, and labeling equipment and operational supplies. Yeah, and that's where I, I, I think, I believe this, this, is, this is awesome because I think those, those parameters that you mentioned, I think 
us as industry, I think we need to communicate that those either advantages or disadvantages to the customer. And I think it, it's 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 good that you're bringing this up, this balance, because I I keep um I keep getting this uh, every now and then about aging, and I think that's we can I think we we cover a little bit about aging. Well, hold on, uh, uh, before we we go into aging a little bit, let's let's talk about because I forgot I had a hit uh, on my list about uh, carbon monoxide. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, we have to mention, um, for especially for those folks that, I mean, it can be in the US or elsewhere, they're wanting to, to do this to understand that carbon monoxide will help you on the color. But I mean, if it can stay in, and this, I remember that Dr. Han, uh, I think on a seminar, he mentions, you have to be very careful if uh, on that percent, because if you go above that percent or I mean, the, the color will be right, will be will be good. The color will be good of the product. But if you give it, you push it out, bacteria or microbiology, the microbiological component of that may be that it's already to be spoiled, but color-wise, it looks good. So I, maybe maybe you can, we can do like a parenthesis and, 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 and just, obviously, this is something that we need to discuss. Yeah. So it's the difference between that spoilage and color, right? And typically, again, an average consumer will use us. Okay, if it looks good, it must be sound. It must be uh, bacteriologically good. Like there is no spoilage there, right? One of the challenges, one of the challenges with carbon monoxide packaging is if you're not careful, it can push that board further. And it the, you know, there is there has been a lot of concerns about will it more mask the sorry if I can speak will it mask the spoilage and that could be a concern if we push the boat out too much like six to seven logs of bacteria like if it if it's aerobic or lactic acid bacteria that's what we consider typically a spoil but that doesn't mean that when it's once it hits six logs or seven logs it's spoiled typically for again from a research standpoint what you consider spoilage is if there is foul order starting to come from there if it's slimy to touch, okay? But in a case-ready packaging, you are not getting either of those. You are not going to get that order because we seal the package so that there is no nothing coming out of the package. You are not able to touch the product, so you won't be able to feel that sliminess. So let's say if a consumer buys a product that's spoiled, like that's slimy, that has a bad order, and that's still looking... Okay, it's not bad. They go home and open that and ask if the product comes out and if they touch it and it feels slimy and if there's a foul order coming, they feel cheated. Like, oh, they cheated me with a product. So that's the situation that we don't want to get into. We want to make sure, hey, like that's when appropriate shelf life labeling on these packages becomes extremely critical. Like do your shelf life studies and understand, okay, if I use this composition on this kind of product, this is my expiry date. Make sure that's clear on the labels. Because once we, once a consumer have a bad experience, uh, they are going to get turned off yeah, by the product. Back. Yeah, they won't come back. They are going to be turned off. And like this, and it, usually the stores are the ones who gets burned off that. Like, yeah, I went to Walmart and Walmart sold me this product. Or I went to Target and they sold me this product. So usually the stores are the ones that gets that brand. So that will have an impact down the, lane, down the chain on their suppliers and their processors and all of that. So we need to be careful in setting critical boundaries and say, here is where we can push the boat 
and draw a clear line saying, okay, even though there might be a possibility beyond that, do we want to take that chance? No, uh, we don't want to have that negative experience for that consumer and draw that line clearly. Yeah, yeah, and and, and it's I think I I, I I'm happy that I remember about this because this is this is a very important one. Mm -hmm. um, and as a matter of fact, I think there's there's some tables out there that uh, I mean they put out some general numbers like boning. Mm -hmm. uh, boneless, suprimals, map, like they, they give out some some potential or estimated chef life uh, days, but it's good to, you're going to start doing map and, and I think it's good to, to have a small chef life studies where, you know, uh, under your conditions in either queue floor, uh, packaging, processing, you have your I mean your baseline of like if you're doing you're doing a vacuum package or or a map packaging that you know your baseline right like you can go out to this day and then the other story is there's a lot of controversial on the best by date used by uh freeze by and and I think I I've heard there's there's gonna be some changes uh soon on that because there's it's confusing for the for the end consumer. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see how those are going to be changed for different products because some products there's a bus by date, right? Mm -hmm. Then there is some product that is used by date. Like consumers don't distinguish the difference. If they say see a date and if it's past the date, they tend to push that product out, and that will result in a lot of food wastage. Does that mean it's gone bad? No, not necessarily. Might can we guarantee the high quality of that product? Maybe not. So there is to have that distinction in the packages would be really, really interesting to see and how that's going to change consumer perceptions of products. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was gonna bring up the 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 postmortem aging time, but I'm not sure if we get we can get we can get um let's just I mean briefly, I think for um, we owe it to 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 our folks listening, because it, it's important to to point out that if you're using map. If if you're gonna be you're going to be like just say I kill today, two days I come back and I start uh, fabricating or maybe I come in in a week. But it's understanding the balance between tenderness and color, right? Because it, it, I mean, trying to get the most out of the product. I mean, we have yeah, we have some numbers that gotta be at least fourteen days of aging, either dry aging or wet aging, twenty one days. In 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 my mind, if if you're gonna be doing, you have to be careful of like if you want to get your product very happy on the on the eating experience that you're doing map. Well, you're killing today, and then you you packaging two days, and then the product is out. Well, you have to understand those limitations on color, right? And I think we we can it, it's it's a good topic, and I think we can we can end this episode by just discussing briefly about this. Yeah, and there is uh, another facet to that in the sense of different muscles. With from a same animal will behave differently. If you put a tenderloin out there it, uh, in a traditional packaging, it will discolor within three to four days. Versus if you put a strip loin out there on the counter case, it will stay red for eight to nine days. So the same coming from the same animal because of the differences in the muscle, there is going to be difference there. So you may not want your end there animal or they all the uh, different subprimals from the same animal to be packaged the same way. If tenderloin is having a problem, you may want to consider different packaging for tenderloin versus 
if, if it's not a question of if, tenderloin has problems with color stability versus strip loin, yeah, it will stay good for a reasonable time. So uh, depending on that, you have to make that call, right? The general rule of thumb is the longer you age the muscle, you will have shorter shelf life. So if you are pushing out from like, so let's say the industry average from the last NBQA survey was about 24 days. I cannot recall the exact dates, but it's uh, somewhere between 20 to 25 days. And that's the industry average for aging. So if you are using that for every muscle, you may have some problems. The longer you push that aging, yeah, there is going to be some improvement in tenderness. That is, depending on what kind of aging you, aging you are using, there is going to be some differences in flavor. But there is going to be the flip side is you will have some compromise on the color stability. Typically, when you age longer, your color stability, the time it can remain on the retail case is going to be lower. If you're pushing it out to 70 days and then say, okay, I need 15 days in the retail case, not going to happen. <laughs> you will have much shorter self-life. So there are studies out there that has compared it over, okay, different aging times. And then if you put in retail case, what happens? And consistently, the longer the aging, you will get shorter time in the retail case. And that one of my uh, pet projects is comparing the difference between the muscles. Like why is tenderloin different than why is triploid coming from the same animal? Yeah, there is difference in muscle fiber types and some biochemical chemical properties, but there is difference in microgrowth on them. In some, the micro grows faster and the other micro grows slower. Why? Like that's a new area of research that we are actually actively pursuing as of now. And hopefully in a year or two, I'll have some more exciting updates on that. Perfect. Yeah. If you have something sooner, we'll, we'll love to catch up in RMC or maybe next RMC, but this is, this is, this is awesome. This hypothesis and, and I think that we're getting more and more questions out of the, 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 maybe that nobody was questioning before. And, and we might have a lot of, a lot of, a lot of good data and information coming from, from your, from your group very soon. Yeah. We put a paper out in meat and muscle biology that got just accepted, like should be coming out in the next couple of days. Um, the, the in a series of five or six studies they have, that's the first study out there. And we are hoping to get some more good data out of that. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, look forward to, uh, to uh, reading that. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. I think it's been fantastic and very helpful information for, for our community. I think, um, We'll get more questions, I'm sure, and I'll, I'll direct them to you. Um, I thank you. Thank you very much. One of my favorite things to talk about is meat color. Like I would, I can talk about meat color for as long as you want. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Um, how? How? I mean, I think we can wrap this up. How do you find this passion? I mean, when? 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 I mean, how old were you? Were you in in India? Were you in the U.S. when when you said, "I want to spend." Part of my life studying me color. And again, it's uh, very interesting because my background is slightly different than a typical uh, meat science person you will see in the US. I was trained as a veterinarian back in India. So, um, but as part of that veterinary training, uh, you had to do both production side and the clinical side. So I got exposed to the production side. And fortunately or unfortunately, I got more attracted towards the production side so I spent a little bit more time learning about meat color and things like that. 
Uh, and there is a that area of how that changes, how it's getting oxidized, how it's getting oxygenated. And that fascinated me. And I wanted to learn more about that. And that's kind of uh, how I got drawn to that area. And when I was looking at who is the best person to look at that, that's when Dr. Hunter's name popped up. And yeah, like, hey, let me reach out to him. It was, I'll just cold email him, say, hey, I'm this person from India. I would like to learn more. And he was very gracious to uh, get the connections for me. And Dr. Suman was also very gracious to getting me in and said, okay, let's do this. And I spent seven years in Kentucky, um, uh, learned a lot about meat color, and then I'm trying trying to continue that at CSU. Perfect. Good good, good story. Thank you, Dr. Nagy, for, for your time again. Sure. We yeah. um, hope to see you soon in, in RMC. That's, this year is going to go fast. So Yeah. Um, thanks, for, thanks for the time, and thanks, uh, hopefully we can catch up sometime soon. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Have a good one.